Mac Football Pod. Uh, Caleb, we're about to have some new friends. We're about to make some new friends in this league, and I don't. Uh, well, it doesn't really matter what I think. I don't. It doesn't matter if I think it's cool or not cool because it's happening. So, uh, enjoy it. Go make some new friends at school. Western Kentucky, Middle Tennessee State. It's not official yet, but it's happening. It's happening. They're joining the MAC. Caleb, are you happy about this? I have no strong feelings in particular. I know that there will be a reshuffling of the divisions that will come with it. Mm-hmm. And um, that will make things a little more interesting. You might see like Toledo in the East, for example, or um, a little bit of a shakeup there. But And forgive me beforehand for having a sick voice. I yeah, oh, my God. Yeah, you, look, you sound terrible. I, f- I feel yeah. really bad that we're doing this now. Thanks. Um, but uh, there's nothing super exciting about Middle Tennessee State or Western Kentucky joining the MAC. And I think you probably kind of see that in terms of the discourse. Like, mm-hmm. who's, who, where does this feel like a major move for anyone involved? Like, not really. And right. Who, yeah. Because they're leaning on the additions. Now, so the latest news we're talking on Thursday. They said that at the time that the two schools could be voted on to join the Mac to join the Mac by the end of the week. It's Thursday. That'll probably happen on Friday. So uh, after you hear this, before you hear this, I don't know, somewhere around the time that you hear this, uh, the official news is going to happen where the Mac will be the sixth FBS league to be 14 teams large. In normal circumstances, in like a non-post-COVID world where Texas and Oklahoma didn't like scurry off from the Big 12 to the SEC to force everybody else's demands to kind of follow suit with the SECs and ESPNs, at, you know, etc. Um, blah, 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 blah. Things have kind of trickled down to where the MAC is saying, hey, for financial reasons, we have to add Western Kentucky and Middle Tennessee. It is what it is. I, it, it will quote unquote add to the you know add to the football stuff but like who the hell cares like we don't if it's not if it doesn't lead to the playoff which it won't like expanding to these two teams won't help a Mac team's chances of getting to the 12 team format that's coming up as we know it you know it it ultimately won't matter like you just said like that um will I don't know like are we just I just hope that the Mac that this does end up being an ultimately good move for the league in some ways that we're not really seeing. Like if it's helping out the books, if it's helping out with, you know, selling tickets, if it's helping with, you know, uh, selling tickets at Doit Perry because middle Tennessee fans travel really well and they end up buying some tickets at, at a Bowling Green game that would normally go unsold because they probably would have played Akron that week or something like that. You know, that's a good place where it can help out. It could help out for, oh, we could recruit kids that live in the Kentucky area and in greater Tennessee. But since when is that really like the max, you know, like since when has that been important? When is like getting into Tennessee and I guess some of Kentucky? But since when is going south been an important part of the Mac? Never really. Never really. I think I will point out one cool thing about it is that, you know, 
the Mac is caught up in all this. Middle Tennessee and Western Kentucky, they're caught up in it too. And we can kind of like pair them together because they have a rivalry game. It's called like the 100 Miles of Hate, if you've ever heard of it. Uh, and that, that rivalry has survived multiple conference affiliations. It's been in the Ohio Valley Conference. It's been in the Sun Belt. It's been in the CUSA. It survived, I think, like when they were independents, maybe, both schools. And now that it's going into the MAC, it's kind of cool for that rivalry to kind of like travel along and like not really have an identity in every conference. Like, like this is like the defining CUSA rivalry. There is no such thing as that. It's not even going to be the defining MAC rivalry, but it will be a cool rivalry to say like, hey, now that it's existed for however long it's been, probably like 80 some years. It's gone through so many conferences. Now it's going through the Mac. You know that's kind of a neat sideshow to peek on. I will, I will give it that credit. But other than that, like I'm not super up for Big Red and the Blue Raiders. Yeah, Blue Raiders. I mean, if you're if you're a Western Kentucky or a Middle Tennessee State fan, uh, what about this is exciting for you? I don't see what's exciting other than. Well, we have to find a league um, because uh, our league could be in ruin. Um, I think if I – well, I'm, I'll, I'll let you finish. I'm sorry. I mean, that's it. It's just – there's nothing particularly exciting about it. It's just – it just adds maybe a little more flavor, a little, a, little, a little more to the footprint, a little more travel distance for some teams. Yeah. And cha- changes some uh, – and honestly, it this makes it potentially maybe easier for their fans to watch on television, harder to attend a game. Because if they're going to continue the TV, if things are going to continue as they are on TV, then you're going to have fewer Saturday opportunities. And this type of thing isn't good for what traditionalists would like, but none of conference realignment is shaking out to be good for what traditionalists like in general. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, after like the CUSA has kind of blown up and reshaped now that it's invited a few FCS schools and former independents to join the league. The Cuse is like searching for like a new identity. I don't know if if I'm a Western Kentucky fan. I don't know if I'm a Middle Tennessee fan. If I'm watching this, what if I had to like pick, stay in the Cusa or go to a defined conference? Which one would I pick? Um, assuming that neither of them ultimately makes sense in any of this, anyways. As long as you can keep your rivalry, I guess if I were them, and I'm saying this as someone who you know, loves the Mac, maybe I would lean towards the Mac too. Um, I wouldn't want to be playing against Sam Houston State, Liberty, schools that, you know, there's not like a real defined anything in CUSA right now. So maybe it is a good time to like leave and, you know, settle into a conference. If something else outside of the Mac, if like the American settles into something else, if, I don't know, any other league regionally makes more sense down the stretch that could add us later, us as in Western Kentucky, Middle Tennessee State, then leave. But it, it makes on it makes sense for them to like join the MAC right now, even though it's kind of like looking at a map right now, a little bit further away than the rest of the pack, and there's going to be some changing with the divisions. Don't know what the hell that's going to do. Oh man, there was like one other point that I wanted to bring up, and I don't remember what it was what what god what, what was the second thing that you just said the second thing that i said was um 
expanding the footprint and talking about does this help the I mean, fewer people are going to be attending games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was one thing I kind of pondered. I was talking about it. I was talking about it with uh, with Justin, Justin, Justin Carter, Justin Kaufman. Um, I wonder what this does to the November games, because you think about a Mac, you know, Tuesday night, Wednesday night game. Let's think about that, that Toledo game really quickly, because it's really good to think about one, an Eastern game. That's, you know, a road victory with 50 points scored. Number two, it's nice to think about a Toledo loss like that. Um, but I'm thinking about it because I am remembering like the size of the crowd that was at that Toledo game, and there weren't many. Uh, that game was very terribly attended. I was thinking about going, and then I was reminded that there's really terrible construction on the way there, so I said no thank you. But, you know, assume that's off the table. And assume that, you know, Toledo's just hosting a regular Tuesday night game and it looked like shit because the weather was probably going to be shit and it was going to be late and all that. Would it behoove these, like, the MAC to look at these two schools and say, hey, Western Kentucky, Middle Tennessee, so November's going to roll around. You have to play these Tuesday night games. There's going to be four of them, just so you know. One of them, for both of you, is going to be that rivalry game. And we're going to showcase you the first Tuesday, that first Wednesday of November, the second, third, and fourth, you guys are going to be hosting at least two more in-conference games. That way, Central can get the hell out of Mount Pleasant, or that way, Buffalo can get the hell out of New York for a little bit, or Kent State can get out of their little corner of Ohio too. you know, get some of these cold weather areas, get these cold weather teams out of their states, out of Ohio, out of Michigan, out of New York, out of Illinois, out of Indiana, Go somewhere warmer for a little bit in November where the fans at those two schools do attend the games. Will they attend them in the midweek? God, I don't know. We'll find out. But they do attend the games at least. They do attend the games on the Saturdays, which I can't really say the same about like all MAC teams all the time. So I do wonder if that is a little bit of a factor. That one, it's a warmer place for the cold weather teams to go to. And two... People will go to those games as well. I do wonder if that's in the works. I I think that that actually makes more sense when I think about it. Um, like having, I mean, yes, very much so. Yes to the first point. If you're going to add these new to these new teams to the footprint, and you're trying to like sexy up the the storylines around Mac football, absolutely play into the sto- the rivalry game aspect of it. So for that. Yes, and hope that it gets explosive and gets exciting. Um, but uh, outside of that... Mm. How are they going to drop these divisions, man? Like, I, I think I sent you over the map that Reddit, CFB, uh, tweeted out when all this came down from Pete Thamel's original reporting. And, like, I don't know how they're going to do this because these MAC teams are built with, like, so many clusters. Like... The Michigan Mac, right? Those three right there. Toledo and Bowling Green are right next to each other. That's a cluster. Kent State and Akron are right next to each other, so that's kind of a cluster. Uh, Miami and Ball State—they're not a cluster, but they're kind of near each other, just about as near each other as Western Kentucky and Middle Tennessee are. Uh, you got NIU over there. You got Buffalo over there. You got Ohio. In its own corner of Ohio, but still, like, regionally, like, coordinated with the rest. There's not, like, a line to draw 
that makes sense to connect any seven teams with any seven teams or against any seven teams, you know? Like, at some point, you have to draw a line through someone's road. Now, Toledo and Bowling Green, like, you know, that's survived already, like, being split up into, like, two divisions, and, like, that rivalry's still working, right? But how's it going to work with, like, two teams being added way down south? Like, do you have, like, any expectation on that front? Well... I mean, you either have you could either go the route of like a north south, I think, um, in which case you've got your like five that are very obvious in the two new schools, Miami, Ohio, and Ball State, and then you probably put in Akron, and then a north, which is your BG, Kent, Toledo, and everybody the obvious ones. Uh, the other option I think is kind of more like a legacy versus new type deal i think you'd come up with a better name for that because i don't get paid to do that type of thing where you play into the like who are the traditional powers of the mac uh and it's more about ohio miami niu the the michigan squadrons uh but then you'd have to leave somebody out and Mm -hmm. i think akron would probably be like the type of one that would get left out and get put into the new group um but that's less fleshed out and less obvious i think there'd be a lot of frustration or like contention with that type of thing which is why a north south thing makes more sense to me what if they do like six teams in one division eight in another and the six team division is the red division and then the other division is everybody else so the red division would be central niu (laughs) ball state miami western kentucky and we're just gonna throw Uh, bowling green in the mix just for the Thank you for never taking that part seriously. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to set my tea. None of my business. How stupid that I do. <laughs> you know, there's going to be something. I think Western Kentucky is the is the fun pick for me in terms of like them having like a pretty solid fan base. And we've seen Western Kentucky be involved in some fun bowl games in recent years. Obviously, the Central Michigan game comes to mind. And... Uh, there's a lot of reason to be excited about like what their fan base offers the conference, at least in that respect. Uh, and then Middle Tennessee, I just don't really know enough about their tradition, and it's it's smaller. It's like smaller time athletics up until the last like 20 years. So if I remember correctly, so maybe add something. Maybe there's some pizzazz to the program I'm not familiar with. New uniforms to get excited about. New coaches we're not familiar with. Who knows? I'm not really sure. Did you know my first college football game featured Middle Tennessee? It did not. It featured Middle Tennessee and one Central Michigan. And it was Dan LaFever's freshman year at the 2006 Motor City Bowl. So, my oh, first game yeah. was like actually Maction, turns out. It's very Maction. It's very Maction. Very, uh, very Maction. I don't really know if I have anything else to say on this front really quickly, like at all. Like, I think I've. Was it? We we spent fifteen minutes on the subject. We did a good job. I think. I think. I think that yeah, we're so smart. <laughs> we're so smart. We're so stupid. I don't. We don't have to talk too much about the playoff or really at all because no MAC teams are going to get in it. Uh, let alone the ever? the twenty five ranked teams <laughs> per week this year. No, um, no MAC team ever will make the playoff. But you and I talked a little bit about one article by da- by uh, David Oven at the Athletic about like how the rankings are built. Um. And it's a really good piece to like keep in mind, especially when these rankings come out. 
even when the rankings come out and you don't read this, just know that the rankings are total bullshit. But the way that they're like built is just so stupid. Like everybody talks about uh, everybody's playoff resumes, this, that, and the other. It's not a resume. There's no like thing, no bullet list of qualifications that the playoffs saying you have to meet. So there's no resume. There's just like portfolios being put together. And these playoff committee members have just like the dumbest way of going about putting a list of 25 together. Caleb, would you agree? It's like we the idea of the resume as it stands on this is so ludicrously stupid. I mean, you're saying, all right, you know what? Only it only matters if you win. Well, if you play good teams and you well, well, if you play good teams and you have quality losses, well, you've played good competition, but you're an SEC team. Are you an SEC team? No, then your competition isn't good enough. It doesn't matter. We like we all know Alabama has like the best players in the country. That's not the fucking question. Like. If it, if there's a if it's about like who has the best body of work or we have to put the best teams, it's because they 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 say they act like like Barda and the people who have to justify this are like it's not about the most deserving teams. We're putting the best teams in the field, and it's like okay, so you're putting the best teams in the field, so the results don't matter. You're that's basically what they continually tell us over and over and over to the point where it's like still get a little bit irked by it every time something like this comes out but i'm no longer like steaming mad because you just expect it because you just you can't be like the dog chasing like a fucking slice of cheese on a stick on a treadmill or some shit so do dogs like cheese like that who knows man if i'm a dog i'm hungry as shit so you know you you can't just keep thinking that they're gonna change the way they do this stuff right to suit the fans because it's not about what people like. It's what they think is going to make them money. Mm-hmm. And they can, you know, justify it in whatever way they want. They can, you know, beat it around their heads and say, this is our, our criteria is solid. And we really, we really gave Cincinnati some consideration. That's a fine program. We really respect what Coach Fickle and those boys are doing over there. But it's bullshit. All right. It's all bullshit. And if you're looking at a team that like just you're, you're asking, you're asking for like teams to have quality losses, but only they, that's like the logic of it. it's like, we want them to have a quality loss. If they're in the sec, if yeah. they're undefeated, but they're in a not as good conference, well then they don't have any quality games to look at. It's like yeah, so exactly. a, yeah, the a road victory that... against the top 10 team time at the time doesn't count as a quality. What it's a quality. It's a win. It's one of the best road wins in college football this year, Cincinnati winning at Notre Dame. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. The What qualifies you more than anything is your conference affiliation, and then whether you win out is secondary. I mean, and second, we have 7-1 and one Alabama. Too soon for that, man. That's like, all these rankings are bullshit. Like I said, I don't like getting hot and bothered about this because – I already knew. I could have told you last year that Cincinnati's not going to make the playoff, and I don't need them to finish with a thirteen and zero record for us to know that they're not going to make the playoff. I didn't realize that the playoff would be like so like forthrightly evil to just put Alabama second this early, like too soon, guys. Too soon. You could have hit them at nine and just brought them up later. Like you didn't have to do this to us. Just because you would have. <laughs> what me? 
No, they would have. Oh, yeah, they would have. Yeah, yeah. He was at, they, exactly. They were yeah, absolutely. yeah. Like you can do that. Just like let them like have the come up and then put them in later, and like let them have a quality loss of Georgia and then put them from six to four. You can do that. Like you have the power to do that. It's totally fine. Playoff committee. You, you can do that. Um. Yeah. Cincinnati. Good luck to you guys. For first ever MAC championship team, Cincinnati. Uh, we're always looking out for you. We're hoping for the best for you, but the best is not going to come. Sorry about that. But the way that these guys do the rankings, Caleb, if you and I were to like get a bunch of people together and rank 25 teams, how would we do it? We'd probably say like, all right, come in, have your top 25, some honorable mentions. We'll compare them. We'll average it out. We'll debate it later and then kind of figure it out from there. Is that like the most like I don't know common sense way of doing things? I think if you had good criteria and you did a blind resume type deal, that would be one thing. Um, like the NCAA tournament happens every year, and you look at these like we're talking about men's basketball and or women's basketball in general, and it's you know here's, this team has blah 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 record against top fifty RPI teams. They're blah blah blah, and you look at it, and you're supposed to guess like oh who's the better team? Is it Syracuse or is it Wake Forest? And then you're like, well, I know Wake Forest is better, but I don't know which record's which. And then you're like, oh, Syracuse looks better without the without the knowledge of knowing that it's Syracuse or something like that. And I like the idea of being able to do that for college football teams, but um, your mind would absolutely change based on your knowledge of who the team is because conference affiliation, your schedules, shape so much. Mm-hmm. That's, that said, like the type – you put 25 – average fans in a room to talk about this you're going to get probably a more just selection Mm -hmm. but one where the fans actually care more about the results than like who you play and so for some people it's like those are not you can't separate those things well if a team has only played one really good team and they convincingly beat the very good team. And then they rolled through the rest of their games and, you know, played down some other opponents like every other team does. Oh, and you got, you got to say everyone's favorite sentence. If the season ended today, yeah, you got to, you got to throw that in there when you rank. Well, if the season ended today, Wake Forest would probably be on the outside looking in of the college football play. Well, we know they would be, for example. Well, if if the season ended today, Cincinnati would never win another game. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you look at it this way, Cincinnati's not going to win any more games because the season ends there, so there's no way of working in. I mean, you're looking at Wake Forest, and I'm looking at them, and I'm not really particularly mad about it because they haven't honestly – they've beaten who they're supposed to beat, but they don't even really have a good win. They and, beat the uh, shit out of Army 70-56, to 56 and everyone's like, eh, you know, that's too many points. Like, that's too many styles. It's like who in the who in the country would give up what top 25 team would give up 56 points to army? It's like probably only Wake Forest. Yeah, who would lose to army? <laughs> nobody, nobody that would ever make it to the playoff. Mm-hmm. However, <laughs> what position was Notre Dame in just a few years ago against army and Navy? Uh, so, whatever. Yeah, we're spending a lot of time talking about the playoff. and I just want people to know this. I just, I just want to read this paragraph. That way we can just let people know how stupid it is. The committee isn't 13 people in a room yelling as they rank one team at a time. Demonstration on the average top 25 voters' initial turmoil come to life. Instead, the committee members enter the room, 
with their own top 30-ish teams in a list, varied number uh, of teams to be ranked against each other. If a team receives enough votes from committee members, they're placed into a pool of six or eight teams. Then committee members rank those teams. After they vote, any leftover teams are kept in the pool, where committees can list more teams and ranked another group of six to eight teams. Oh my God. That's repeated until 25 teams are ranked. So, so we just what like, make, we make like individual pools and like fake conferences and rank them and then come together. That's <laughs> so stupid. No, we're done. We're done with this. Done. We're done. Max, this. Okay, yeah. now that we're 20, almost 30 minutes into it, Midweek match. <laughs> the one thing doesn't doesn't get less weird. It gets better. It gets a lot better though. God, hey, uh, Kent State's uniforms. Those were cool, right? I liked them. Yeah. Nothing. They weren't blown away or anything. But I like. I think they were a nice addition to the wardrobe. Yeah, I think it's you know, uh, if they only wear it three more times ever and only on midweeks, I'd be happy with that for them. Uh, midweek action happened. Let's see. Let's look at all these teams. Let's look at all these great winners. You and I both won alumnuses of great teams. Uh, Eastern beat Toledo. Ball State beat Akron. Ohio beat Miami. Central beat Western. Kent State beat NIU. We don't have to go over all these games. We never do. I just didn't want to. I just kind of wanted to, you know, say the winners at least. What stood out to you though? And why is it oh. Eastern putting up a fifty burger? Yeah, sure. No, what's fun is looking at the scores at the end of the night, looking at what the last two nights gave us, and you're like, oh, man, this is why I love this shit. Dude, right? It's just, it's like, put it in my veins. Like, you know, this is bad for you, but it's so sweet. Um, that's what this is. That's what good Mac football or wild-ass Mac football is. And so the last two nights, I watched more football in the last two nights alone than I had probably the rest of the season combined so far. Mm-hmm. You've also, uh, like, have... You've been busy the last few months, though. Admittedly, oh, yeah. So. But um, still, like, I sat down and watched almost all of Ohio-Miami. Nice. And I watched um, almost all of NIU-Kent State. So, you know, witnessed two very, very solid games, or at least back-and-forth games. I don't know what you would call it generally, but it was fun. Well, well, tell, well tell me about them. Well, tell me about your experience. Well, I, I remember, so in like, for example, so like in your, in your pick them, I picked NIU because I'm like, you know what? Let's just keep rolling with the hot hand because if they're going to keep doing this, they're probably going to win another one-score game. Well, the one-score game luck finally fell through. And I'm in, like, and if you're an NIU fan, you might be frustrated about the defense. You know, they, they at one point they gave up, I think it was touchdowns, eight of ten possessions. You can't be that mad that the defense that plays like – sophomore or younger at the majority of the spots had trouble with the most explosive offense in the Mac. Like you can be, you can be a little frustrated if you want to be, but like just know that your defense is basically playing at its maximum capability coming Mm -hmm. into this Kent state game. And they had stops at the start of the night. Uh, Kent state figured it out. Kent state for one was running RPO stuff that Western cannot for the life of itself, figure it shit out. And by the way, we can get into it later. Western being at the bottom of the Mac West. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dustin Crumb figured his shit out. He only held on to the ball a few times, but he had like two really long touchdown runs. Uh, Marquez Cooper looked awesome. He's the, that's the type of game you like, we're really waiting for him to have tore up. And I used defense. They looked hapless against mm-hmm. him. Uh, Pokey 
um, and Johnson and uh, Cephas, all these guys at Kent State had big explosive games. And NIU never really slowed down. Like they were down 18. They, they had a fun back and forth throughout the night. They didn't run the ball well really until halfway through the third quarter. And then Ducker got going. Uh, and of all things, I got this far into it without mentioning the fact that both Rocky Lombardi and Trayvon Rudolph set school records for passing yards and receiving yards in a game. That's Trayvon action, Rudolph, man. That's yeah, action. <laughs> that is peak action. Trayvon yeah. Rudolph goes from a couple weeks ago, the fans going, hey, how comes we aren't using this really explosive guy in the passing game? To uh, Tyrese Ritchie going down in the game and Rudolph explodes for like 14 catches, 307 receiving yards and three touchdowns. I had put in the, the group text, I'm like, Jack Sorensen had best receiving performance for a Mac wide receiver on lock yesterday. And then literally the next day, Trayvon Rudolph is like, oh, psych, and has the gold post-game conference quote. Like, hey, we just wanted the ball back one more time. You know, we got the job done. You know, um, Don't know about that. Me personally. Them a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me personally, I did all I could do. And it's like, you know, he's right. Uh, otherwise, Lombardi, you <clears> never – Bless Rocky Lombardi. He had a good game, and they dropped a lot of his balls. Uh, Praising. But he should never throw the ball 60 times in a game, dude. That is not what you should be doing, even if Kent State is susceptible to the, like, aerial like aerial attack. What, like, there, it had already been known that Kent State struggled to stop the run. And, and now you had some early success with it and then abandoned it on first down. It's like, you don't want to go tick for tag with them all night. Kent State, every, almost every one of Kent State's scoring drives were two minutes or less. It was like the iteration of what Bowling Green football was a few years ago mm-hmm. with just not as incredibly ridiculous athletes. Like Dustin Crumbs, maybe not as you know not as good as what Matt Johnson was when he was. Oh, at oh no. Like, no, Dante Sevis and Roger Lewis are not one and one. Yeah, no, no, and make no, no mistake about that. Yeah, so... It was like that entertaining, but just without the once in a 10 years type of athlete at several positions for Kent State. So, um, like, Kent State would not do that to maybe I, – I, you know what? Any, any of the MAC defenses this year, they probably could do it too because <laughs> – what a fucking shit show this league. Oh, man. But, yeah, so I do have, obviously had a lot to say about that one. So before we even move into another one, I'm curious what you, what you generally think about how that game was last night. Uh, yeah. So I didn't get to watch it until there was like seven minutes left in the game. Uh, yeah. Like Lombardi should not be throwing the game, throwing the ball like 60 times a game. But one note that I kind of brought up a few weeks ago, we, we had mentioned like James Esther, right. And I had brought up the point like, okay, we're halfway through the season. You know, how is this young group, which has been impressive so far, gonna you know how are they gonna do in the back half of the year because you know we've never seen them you know do well like this we've never seen them carry on a second half of the season like this either so let's see you know let's let's just let's just see right no no declarative statements anymore let's just see i know because we're always wrong and (laughs) and for reasons like that you know like i kind of feared that niu would kind of like lose a shootout but still be in it uh, against Kent State, especially if that run game was playing so well. And shit, man, <laughs> Xavier Williams, 103 yards, Marquez Cooper, 173. 
Jesus Christ, man. Like, Kent State is just so good. Like, yeah, if they just, like, keep pumping out. This is the kind of offense that everyone who voted Kent State first in the East back in July or August or whatever the hell. Everyone that picked Kent State to win the East, this is the look of the offense. Blue jer- Light blue jerseys. Baby blue jerseys and all. This is what people were expecting to see out of Kent State. So it was just really, really good to see uh, from them. Uh, that, that's all really all I got to say about this game. Um, I I think we're just gonna let's just knock this one right out of the park. Uh, Ball State, Akron. There was a weird play at the end of the game, right? Like a <laughs> like a like a like a fumble <laughs> gone wrong or some stupid shit. Um, I'm just gonna count this as both teams lost. And then move on. Well, that's, I mean, that's not fair considering Ball State's in a position to still find a chance to find a way to Detroit because of the result. Yeah, the West is that crazy, isn't it? Yeah. The West just is that crazy. Uh, I didn't really watch it, though. I'll be honest with you. Um, It was, it's just, what the hell, Ball State? (laughs) Just like, what the hell? What the hell? Why are you this way? Like, why are you? Well, if Akron had won yesterday, that that would have probably caused them to push off firing Tom Arth for at least okay, yeah, week. <laughs> yeah. All right. I was going to try to like wait until the end of it, but I guess we can do it now. Tom Arth, he's fired from Akron as of today. Um, yeah, man, that would have saved Tom Arth big time, but this definitely needed to happen. Just it within his third year, uh, he was let go because Akron just still looked like Akron figuring out, you know what to really do the guys play hard like the team plays hard for Arth. like it looks like they enjoy playing for each other and all that uh three and 24 record though like what else is to say after that like you're three and 24 like a change has to be made otherwise you're still akron and next year you're gonna end up firing him at five and whatever five and 36 or whatever the hell like that's what it end up being so uh, it had to be it had to be done, and uh, looks like there's gonna be like more firings along the way. Like nationally, like that shit has like started way, 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 way months ago. But yeah, in the Mac it went quick and already has a new job. Yeah, in the Mac is I kind of get the feeling that Akron wanted to be like the first Mac opening, right? I kind of feel like that is the play here because I don't think this is the only Mac team that's going to like get rid of its head coach. And you know me better than a lot of people who listen to this. I'm not one to like carry on a conversation of like, Oh, should this coach get fired? Oh, should this coach get fired? I don't feel comfortable doing that because I'm not qualified enough to do that too. We're talking about someone's job. That's just, you know, it's just a low place and kind of like low hanging fruit in general. But at some point, like Toledo, Western Michigan, like the losses that those two teams faced, the seasons that those two teams have had with the expectations that those two have had for not just this year, but years before, and for them to like keep coming up short, it's just, you know, when it, do you think like Jason Candle and Tim Lester are going to have like the same kind of fates that Tom Arth just faced today? Because I, I believe that's going to happen. I would honestly have to take a closer look at the contract, but I think what weighs on my mind heavily is that Toledo is farther is getting farther and farther away from that MAC championship game, and it's starting to look a little bit easier 
so easier to look down on where candles at where the program's at under candle at this point mm. um because it really does seem like they're not getting the most out of the talent they have about having uh maybe the best defense of the of the tenure that then proceeded to do that against eastern mm-hmm. um credit to eastern they their offense is near the top well, is at the top in several facets of the mac and that's that i did not see coming holy shit um but toledo has a lot that they've got, just got to be like incredibly frustrated with and so i'm not i don't remember what candle's contract looked like i feel like he has a few years left and there's like not as there's less less urgency to get him out because they could just as quickly recover um western is going to have a new athletic director yeah because they're just and we retired know, and we know a new athletic directors love to leave their imprint on the big money sports and hire their coach so westerns like you know they they're still in a good position to succeed they can still recruit the areas they recruit if they hire the right person and it's still a good position to be in because you've got a lot of good guys on that team. And yeah, you would potentially face an exodus as a result. But let, I think Western's reached the peak of where they're going to get under Lester. And, you know, he's not a bad coach. And everything I understand is that he's like a really genuinely good person from what everybody has to say about him. But for, for you guys to like have for, – for, fans of Western to have the expectations they have of Western every year and then just consistently underperform and let them down. Like it just feels like Western's a, we have to fire him versus candles. Uh, yeah, he might, he might be out or he should, maybe he should be out. Yeah, it, would just, then, it would just be like way easier for Western if Tim Lester were an asshole, but he's not, he's a good person <laughs> and he's alum. So it's not easy to mm. like, you know, fire someone like, no, like there's a, there's probably some goodwill like fixed into this, you know, into the calculus of like getting rid of him or not. Uh, you made a great point that Western's AD did uh, retire, will retire very, very soon, somewhere along those lines. Uh, Akron, they just named their new athletic director back in July. So they're, <laughs> they have a guy too who's looking to make his first hire. Uh, that gentleman's name's Charles Guthrie. So uh, I don't know what his future is you know, is going to look like. I don't know if Guthrie's trying to be, like, you know, a, a long-timer in Akron, like we've seen some of these other ADs in Mac schools. Like, Kathy Beauregard at Western, I feel like she was there for a very, very long time. I think I saw the like number. 35 years or something like yeah, that? Yeah, like, yeah, an insane amount of time. Uh, not everybody has to stay at their Mac school forever, but uh, if you want to get out of here, hey, look at Danny White. He made, you know, one good hire, and he was out of there. Uh, Charles Guthrie, <laughs> you just got to make one good hire and you can get out of Akron. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, let's let's channel back to these max schools really quickly just to finish up on some of these results. Uh, yeah, Eastern's offense. You know, people are like, "Oh, I didn't see that coming. Oh, I didn't see that coming." Uh, listen, I've been trying to tell you for years that Eastern Michigan is a very good football company, and you should just invest all your time into them. Um, it is embarrassing for Toledo to lose to Eastern like that. First loss in the glass bowl to Eastern since 99. Uh, yes, that's 1999. Um, Toledo, though, man, I'm just going to pile on for, to the Jason Candle thing. Like, Toledo's year in and year out the best recruited program, like, 
top to bottom on its roster, right? Like everybody comes in to Toledo as freshmen, as more talented 18 year olds than what you'll find over in Ypsilanti and so on and so forth, right? Like some of the dev schools, the development schools like Eastern and Akron, this, that, and the other. Man, for them to lose to like a development school like Eastern and like know that it's coming, and a bunch of these guys are like just transfers, and like a lot of the Toledo guys are guys that have been playing with each other for the past few years at least. Not a lot of like outgoing transfer stuff to worry about there. Like that's just that's just brutal. That's just brutal. But I'm just ha- I'm more happy for Eastern though. Clearly more happy for Eastern and Hassan Badoon. Holy shit, man! I love you. I love Hassan Badoon. That guy's awesome. <laughs> 197 receiving yards, 12 receptions. That's a career day, man. This is the year of the surge of the surging receiver in the MAC in a number of ways, because I know you can maybe you can say that about every year, but like Badoon like had a really good shortened season, uh, obviously last year. You're looking at guys like Trayvon Rudolph. You're looking at guys uh, from Akron, like uh, Matheson and Mumpfield. Like, and and first off, let me squeeze in there that Akron's on-field, on-field performance is better. So before anybody gets the idea that, like, yes, they're still bad, but they are better. And it has a lot more to do from all signs point towards new athletic director. People don't like the way that Akron is pointed. And there's more of an institutional buy-in there. Yeah. As someone who's never been to Akron, there's more of an institutional buy-in there. They there's something they don't like Arth. There's something with Arth. I don't know what it is. Um, <laughs> there's there's more to it. I'm not sure what that is. Um, but yeah, there's there's good receivers all over the Mac, and like there's been a reason to be excited about like new guys who are making their name every week, and I've actually just been really excited about that that aspect of things lately. Uh, can you please tell me about your your game though, Ohio over Miami? Because that's that's incredible. Like first real win for Tim Albin, uh, Curtis Roy. first real win. <laughs> <laughs> Brett Gabbert, Jesus Christ, that man had five touchdowns. Dude, they slung it the whole night. Why? They realized that they couldn't throw it. Oh yeah, Gra- Gabbert led the team with twenty three yards rushing. Oh my goodness. They just realized they didn't have to run the ball to move the ball with the extreme consistency. <laughs> Like early on, Ohio had some stops, and then after that, they started. Then Miami started throwing the ball. And they're like, "Oh, we can just do this all night." Okay, like there were times where it didn't work out, but like running the ball, they're like, "Okay, well, well, what if we throw the ball?" And it's like, "Oh, well, mm, we're gonna do that every time. Just throw, 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 throw. Yeah, I'll run through it in there. Throw, 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 throw. And they're doing that all night, just moving the ball down the field. Then Ohio gets like a stop after they've marched the ball like fifty yards or whatever. So, um, Ohio, big place from Tuggle." Uh, in special teams and in uh, obviously in the run game, he broke a big touchdown late in the game that almost put it on ice. But you know, Ohio's defense decided they were not incapable capable of stopping anything. Uh, Gabbert ran through him again. Uh, Miami, of all teams in the MAC, actually still has the best points for points against total. Say that again. Miami has the best points for points against total in the league. So, like in conference player, conference in, player total. In conference play. Okay. Still, that's pretty good. Yeah. So <sighs> there's a reason Miami still has won its games. You know, they've, they've played good defense in, in a couple of their wins, and uh, they're not completely out of their – well, they're not at all out of the race, but, you know, it still looks like Kent State's going to take care of business, but who fucking knows? I'm not saying anything with certainty at this point. Yeah. Um, it's, it is kind of 
still frustrating to watch Miami not commit to anybody in the run game, given the types of talents they have uh, up front and, you know, having, I don't know, like seeing the type of the type of the mindset of how they like to recruit and like who they, they like to go big up front and they like to go defense. And um, you're thinking, okay, so how are we going to beat our rival? Oh, by aerial assault. Like, mm, if I'm them, I want to pound it down their throat on a cold November night, like not throw the ball the whole time. And yeah, they move the ball, but this is just another game where you're looking at it like, okay, Gabbert led them in rushing for like 27 yards or whatever. Is that really where you want your program going forward? Like, yes, I know. But we're, we're looking at teams this week in the MAC. We're looking at Miami. We're looking at Toledo. We're looking at uh, – shoot, I'm blanking right now. Uh, we're looking at NIU, who all threw the ball extremely well, but came up with L's. You've got to freaking run the goddamn football. We know NIU's committed to it. But Miami? Yeah. And I think not being committed to the run hurt them in a big way. Because even though they will found a lot of success in the air, they just didn't have rhythm. They would like, you know, they'd have a few drives and they would stall and they'd stall in Ohio and make a big play. And Ohio and Miami vastly outgained Ohio and still came out in the short end. Because they were down 28-nothing, man. Like, geez, Louise. Ohio still managed to like give me a massive headache thinking about how they were gonna find a way to lose this game. But it was still fun. Still fun weeknight matching. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. I, I need to like actually watch a full Miami game before like I figure out or can say like what the hell is wrong with them because I get this feeling that like it it can't be as simple as well just hand the ball off more because I just something tells me like they're this far into the season. I don't think Chuck Martin's a dummy. Like if it were as simple as like give ball to other kid and let him go, like he would have done it already. Yeah. Um, I think they need an identity change like we talked about how a little bit how like westerns running the rpl offense and it's just like really really stupid that they're doing that should not be doing that because they have too much talent you know if i had like all the talent in the world and i had like you know yeah i got like this super mobile quarterback with an incredibly great arm and like these receivers who can catch it over anybody's heads i would only be fucking around with rock route combos not like Le- like leaving it up to the quarterback's reads like, oh, should I throw the screen or should I hand it off? Which one should I do? No, man. If I have that much talent, I'm choosing and I'm demanding that I throw the ball deep every time. And Western shouldn't, you know, Western just should not be doing that. Miami, on the other hand, you know, and it's kind of a reason why Ohio keeps running the same stale offense that you don't like. It's because they don't have like the most talented players in the world. But if they can run the option well, then that kind of like levels the playing field more. Miami's at that spot where they should be running more of an RPO or just an offense that's based with an option in there Um, because they have smart players to do that. They're not always going to have the talents to, you know, be be a team that can like throw how many times did Gabbard throw it like 40, 50 sometimes like they can't 55 times they can't get away with that. Miami can't get away with that. They need to adopt some sort of option offense. Yeah. But that that's the, uh, that's what I think. I, I I don't know about the option aspect of it, so I don't really have a comment in that respect. I do I just think they've got to but it could be a, it could come with reformulating their identity in terms of who they want to be offensively. Mm-hmm. Um because Gabbert 
looked i mean the defense was better obviously but gabbert looked like he did exactly what he needed to do a few years ago when they went to detroit and won it all and that wasn't throwing the ball 50 times ever Mm-mm. no he threw so, he threw 11 touchdowns over 12 games before that and they had a lot of the same offensive personnel um well you know i'll say offensive personnel several of the important spots but uh they had a couple better offensive linemen and so they could run the ball a little more effectively with just, you know, the smorgasbord of backs and whatever. And the defense was better. And they still have really, really high-caliber defensive players, and they're doing good things in Mac play in general. Like, they're, they've only surrendered, like, 103 points on Mac play in five games or something like that. Mm-hmm. So they're still doing good things in that respect. So I just I do think an identity change has to come in terms of, like, if you're going to recruit these absolute studs in the, in the backfield and up front, like, what they're not maybe it's just they're not recruiting the studs in the backfield but if you're good up front you're gonna find a way yeah 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 i believe in that because like we you know everybody knows everybody keeps talking to me like i'm not the one bringing it up people are telling me because they're reading the newspapers and they're saying hey eastern's got the best conference you know the best offense in washington county did you know that alex uh, and i say <laughs> yeah and it's kind of crazy that miami limited them to just one touchdown in that game uh mm-hmm. that one touchdown where it was a home game for eastern too so uh, that's that's a good mark for Miami. Yes, it's a bad loss and all that, but if you want to just like take that data point of like, hey, they played sixty minutes, they only allowed one touchdown. Uh, Toledo over there with like the best recruits in the fucking world apparently keep giving up fifty burgers to Eastern Michigan. Yeah. Uh, so we're doing something else better than who you think is a better studded roster. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. But uh, as much as it's fun to bag on Miami, I'm just looking at the uh, I'm looking at the scoreboard in the play-by-play with Ohio um, and Miami, and like looking at it, and you're like, it's just kind of just like the ha 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 sickos meme of just Ohio getting further and further ahead during the course of this game, and I'm just like on cloud nine, like as excited about anything that's happened in Ohio football since the MAC tournament run. And obviously not that excited, but it's like, hey, we're beating Miami. This fucking rules. I did not expect this. And then <laughs> the, the play chart's just funny to look at because it's just like, oh, God, how are we going to fuck this up? Because it goes, you know, early on in the game, uh, it's just trading punts. Ohio scores a couple touchdowns. Miami starts shooting itself in the foot. It's punting the ball. Um, things still weren't going well in the second half. And then in the sec- in the, er, to start the second half, and then they start moving the ball with consistency the rest of the game. Uh, they they turned the ball over on downs in Ohio territory with a dumb decision. They tried to run uh, two like reverse things in like crucial situations, including a fourth down, and where they just needed to get a yard. It's like they're not committed to the run. They're going to run a trick play and have a wide receiver throw the ball on fourth and one. Like what the fuck? Uh, so the, it was just it was a weird game, and it being. 35-33 didn't make it any less weird than the 54-49 games this time around. So uh, I will say I do got to give one one more shout-out in this respect to um, just kind of reaffirming every time we make a statement about a player or a team on this podcast and we're like, this is the truth or I know what I'm talking about. It's all bullshit because <laughs> I was dead set. Like, all right, Armani Rogers is the guy. He fits the identity Ohio wants to be in terms of running ball, doing the option, doing yeah, whatever. Man, what the fuck okay. happened there? I 
Yep. I like, don't get that. It was I like, don't Rourke get sucks. Line. It's like, sorry. <laughs> it's like, maybe Rourke will be good in the future. He just sucks. Sorry. And guess what? He doesn't suck. Imagine that. Because he performed decently well against a good Miami defense. Isaiah Cox was on his shit. Cameron Odom was on his shit. They got what they needed out of the run game. Work moved the ball with his feet. Now he's the first. Um, now he's the first one in the gym. Oh my god! So, oh fucking! I had to point this out. Ivan Pace, good lord, twelve solo tackles, eighteen total, two sacks, three TFLs. He's another one that keeps showing up. Where it's like he's a dog. He's a fucking monster. Like we already knew. Like Sterling Weatherford was an absolute dude, but like, uh, fucking Ivan Pace, good god, he was over the place last night. Uh. I'm going to consider this guy for MVP uh, more so than I already had. Not that I like, I thought he'd be anything bad or anything like that. Not that I didn't think he'd be a first team all Mac player to begin with. Uh, but now I'm, I'm just like nationally, it's hard to find like a Heisman person. Right. And in the Mac, it's hard to find a singular MVP because of like all these reasons why all these games are going sideways and being decided by like odd things it's kind of hard to find like consistent 12 week you know players that just like perform every single week khalil pimpleton man he has yeah. turned it up lately he's a fucking star. he has turned it up like no surprise either because he is awesome from the first game that he played with central right this guy's been awesome from the get-go uh and Central's just lucky that they've had him not just for one year, not just two years, but three years. Holy shit, man. Um, yeah, over 100 yards receiving the last few games, last three games in a row. And also in the Western game, he had a couple of really long pump returns, had 150 yards there. Dude is just fucking unreal. Just unreal. Dude, MVP caliber for sure. The fact that he didn't have a touchdown until like his, let's see, like sixth game of the season is such an indictment on the play calling abilities of uh, Central Michigan and like what they've done with this offense last few years. I think there's a lot of agreement among the uh, Central Michigan and Michigan type folks of our uh, Mac group that, you know, McElwain and, and just the play, the people who call the plays over there are not doing what they need to do to have consistent success. Obviously they did, they did well against Western. So then, so everybody else in the world's having success against Western. Mm-hmm. Um, still a good win for them. Uh, but Pimpleton coming alive, as you said, a couple hundred yard receiving games like he should every week. He's had at least uh, four catches in every game, or yeah, in the, almost every game this year. Like there was a stretch early in the year where he wasn't getting a lot against mm-hmm. L- like or against LSU, like what they do, and then against Robert Morris when they didn't need it. So um, they're getting the ball in his hands. That's good for them. Keep doing that. Keep feeding the rock. Keep mixing it back and forth. Central still good enough to do something really solid, but uh, they're not going to go to Detroit this rate. So, and if he lose, if he doesn't win MVP, I wouldn't be surprised if his teammate Lou Nichols won it in front of him. That he's man is this man is impressive. This so man, good. Jesus Christ! Now he's on a four-game streak of having at least a hundred yards in a game. Uh, yeah. Started with 186 against Ohio, 132 against Toledo, 192 against NIU, 163 against Western. Uh, five touchdowns scored in this four game span, too. Yeah, and fucking it should be un- that way. Fucking unreal, man. And we're not surprised by that either. Like, we knew he was awesome. And now he's just like, yeah, I am awesome. And I am going to just like, 
keep carrying the pile for these first down gains. Uh, and Jesus Christ, man. Yeah, I, I lo- if Central wins any more games, it'll still be because of the two guys that we just mentioned. Um, but I also think those two guys should be in like heavy consideration for the Vern Smith Leadership Award trophy. <laughs> and boom goes the dynamite. 